G'day everyone, welcome back to another Tune Under podcast, the Southern Hemisphere's biggest, best one-stop shop for all things Newcastle United, uh, joined again by Jack to celebrate and wax lyrical, another huge result for Eddie Howe's injury-prone mags, um, undefeated this week, who would have thought, Jack, with uh, Chelsea, PSG and Manchester United fixtures <laughs> in a week that Newcastle would go through undefeated and Probably should have won all three. Yeah, not probably. Brilliant. Definitely should have run all three. You know, like under under normal circumstances with a full squad, th- this would have been a good set of results, a fantastic set of results. So to do it with the same eleven players is like you'll never forget that this week. Like, and it was so close to being being even better, being perfect in the, in midweek. But this was another. This is probably the best performance of the lot, to be honest. Um, it should have been a lot more than one nil, which I'm sure will we'll talk about but it's a similar mm. feeling to last week again you know you just win we just win games at St James's Park no one can beat us there apart yeah from <laughs> yeah it's a death yeah death taxes and us winning at St James's Park so um I guess yeah we'll get stuck into it but 7 a.m kickoff for us here in uh, Sydney and Melbourne which is an unbelievable result on a Sunday morning I think the only thing better than that would be on a Saturday morning but I'm not going to be picky and choosy. I'd love that fixture every single weekend. Jack, 6 o'clock for you. So still body clock, you should be up around that time anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm usually up by then anyway. So my biggest challenge is how to watch it undisturbed without two little kids trying to <laughs> run it. I just watch it in my bedroom on my laptop now. I'm antisocial. I don't even go to the TV. Yeah. Uh, so I can watch it in peace. But, yeah, no, it's a good it's a good kickoff time. Um, the Saturday night games are good, but we tend not to do very well in them so uh it's funny watching minus degrees in newcastle <laughs> yes yeah to get to that yeah the, the minus two seven. i think was it reports were yeah. so absolutely yeah. officially freezing over there now just in time for christmas but um <laughs> yeah i i don't know why there's not more saturday night games it seems like a really good fixture and whether it's a ratings thing or something like that, I'm not 100% sure. But it just maybe from from being in Australia, growing up on the AFL fixture, like there's always two games on a Saturday night, and it, it just it just seemed like a no brainer. I don't. I think the championship from memory normally has a Friday night game, so I can understand that element of the Friday night. But the Saturday night just seems like a no brainer to me. Yeah, and I don't even know why this one was on a Saturday night. Presumably, it was because Man U were playing in Turkey in midweek. Uh, on we Wednesday. might get to that later. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know why it was on a Saturday night, but it's good for the away fans, apart from the team's absolutely shit, but good for them to have a weekend and a Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> and then Notoriously good, good nightlife as well. Some of, my, some of my friends were out at 1 o'clock for an for 8 o'clock kickoff. So, <laughs> I mean, they're still in the group chat. <laughs> and they, were, they, were, they were getting on it in the Bodega at 1 p.m. So, oh. brilliant stuff. But it's been a big be... week for them for them boys as well at home. Oh, no. One of them was in, in Paris. <laughs> and then oh, obviously he was at Chelsea game. Living so. the dream. Yeah, I don't That'd know if still alive this morning, by... to be honest. Yeah. Check that group chat when we knock off here. But... <laughs> Yeah, I'd imagine there'd be plenty of people who would have been fully hydrated by 
the eight o'clock <laughs> kickoff. So, um, I guess the first surprise we'll say morning because it was it was morning for us, but the first surprise for me anyway was Eddie Howe sort of going away from the winning formula. I thought he would have persisted with the the six fullbacks that done the job quite convincingly in the, the Carabao <laughs> Cup, fully rested from the midweek game, but he opted to go for the unchanged lineup. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a very um, brave what he did at Old Trafford. Whether, <laughs> but it, it, although saying that, it wasn't really he didn't have a lot of choice. Like he, he had some big guns on the bench in that game, but we knew that they were going to get rested. So I think to have Kraft and Dummett at the back was a bit of a surprise in that one. But that was a, an amazing performance. So um, like you said, the, there wasn't really a lot of choice for this one. In fact, there wasn't any choice at all. At no, least the bench no. looked a little bit. <laughs> A little bit di- older, a little bit more experienced than that. Yeah. The midweek scene, Matt Ritchie on there was pretty exciting, which is not something I thought I'd be saying at this point of the season. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was going to mention, Matt, we we, we spoke last week. It, it was his babysitting club, but it was good to see he got a bit of help. The kids must have been a bit restless last week, so he called in some more <laughs> help to try and help him settle him down a little bit. So that was really good to see. But, yeah, like I said, unsurprisingly, an unchanged lineup. But um, the visitors... They had four changes, Jack, from their team midweek. Uh, Marshall, Rashford, Manu and Dalot come in for uh, Hoyland, Anthony, Amrabat and Lindorf. So I think the big surprise was Luke Shaw sort of slotting into that centre-back role and Juan Basaka and uh, what's his name? The other left-back. Yeah, Dallo uh, was at left-back. Yeah, Dallo coming in to deal with uh, Almiron and Gordon. So... I think most fans, from what I was reading, were happy that that Manu was was restored back to the starting lineup. They thought he was a bit harshly done by missing out at Galatasaray. But what a luxury to make four changes mm. <laughs> in a team yeah. three days later. Yeah, but but saying that, it's just not a Man United team. Like I know that they've been on the on the decline for a while, uh, and we'll talk about how bad Man United were. You know, they were as bad as we were good. But you're used to just seeing Man United with such strong teams and you, you, you fear them, you know, like well, we, we used to fear them. This lot Everyone did. Shit. Yeah. They're, they're useless. They're... Like Anthony Marshall, they tried to get rid of him last season and he's had like eight and a half years at Man United now and he's never done it for them. Rashford, oh, he was just te- abysmal. <laughs> like the, the, yeah. the whole team just does not look. And the, the fact that you've got Shaw, who's a, a really good left back, playing at centre-back. You know, they tried to get rid of Harry Maguire in the summer. He's back in the picture. You've got Varane, you know, multiple Champions League winner, sitting on the bench. You've got the likes of Sancho out in the cold. The whole club's just been run Van der Beek so badly. as well. But, yeah, yeah. Oh, Van der Beek was back, which, I, I, yeah, I noticed that. What's it, where's yeah. he been for three years? You know, it's like the whole club is just such, in such a sorry state. And I don't care about that because it's Man United, but I've got, family ties with my, with Man United. My dad was from Salford and my grandma was from Salford as well. So they were proper Reds. And like I, I don't I don't have a soft spot for for them, but I was brought up on Man United <laughs> being brilliant, you know, like they, they won everything when, when I was growing up. And my dad and grandma told mm. me all about, you know, the, the great teams of the past. So, you know, they're a proper club and it's it's just a, a surprise kind of to see the, the decline over the over the years and yeah, we'll get into more about this game, but the the, the team just yeah. does not look any. There's no player there that you would think I would have him 
at, at Newcastle, and that says a lot, I think. Have you read my rundown? That was my next question going to no, be. No. There is there is no, and this is hand on heart, as the teams that, that played in this game, I don't think I'd swap one of their players for one of our players, 11, 11 for 11. And that's that's nearly as bad, not as bad as you can get, but for a team like Manchester United, they're, they're Manchester United by name, but they're not by reputation anymore. No. They don't have any aura. No one fears them. I think. I think Lee put a stat up in the group. Like they haven't beaten a top eight team in like twenty six games or something like that. Like that's way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's a damning stat. It, it doesn't matter. The club's rotten to the core. They've got yeah. unrest in the boardroom, and it sort of filters all the way down into the players. Some of them performances, like you mentioned, Rashford and stuff like that. For, for yeah. someone who's meant to be as good as him, oh, that's as bad a performance I've seen from a top player. Probably for the whole season, like he was anonymous and then got substituted off probably 20 minutes longer than he should have stayed on, and then just threw the gloves off in an absolute half when he went to the bench. And whether it's, I think we'll find out soon enough whether it's a player run club or a coach run club, I reckon. Yeah, like the. The club from top to bottom, like you said, has been on the decline since Alex Ferguson left, but. Like it's hard. It's not just on on the manager. They've they've been through all sorts of managers, big names. They've had the fan favourite Solskjaer, like novice manager. They've had the steady British manager David Moyes. They've had everyone since Fergie left, and that none of them can do it. Like they've, they've won a few trophies here and there still, but I think you you look at the team that the tactics. What were the tactics? What what what's the system? No, who knows? Like nobody yeah. knows, and. The thing that really struck home for me was they, they did this last season. It's not that long since they came to St. James's Park after the beaters in the cup final. And they did the same thing. They played they got terribly. Battered they last played terribly. last year as well. Yeah. And then the, the, the game they played today was very, very similar to that. Players in the sim, same positions. Nobody seemed to know what they were doing. Nobody was up for the fight. Like it was just, it was easy. I said on Twitter, this that's the easiest game we'll have all season. And apart from the last two two minutes of normal time from about 88 minutes when it got a little bit hairy for us just because we hadn't scored more goals. But up until then, it was so easy. Mm. Like, it was just a walk in the park. Yeah. we, Which I – even that 88 minutes, I'd put that down to we were gassed again. Like, there's, there's only so many times you can go to the well. And I, I did think, actually, that that unfortunate injury to Nick Pope, which we'll get to a bit later on, kind of, in a way – maybe helped us just give us that little five-minute spell, just get our things together again, get another second win just to push on. I think eight was maybe a little bit extreme again with mm. the injury. It felt like... Nine, wasn't it? Like, yeah. yeah, we'll keep playing until you score, but um, they <laughs> did have their, they had their chances. But we'll get stuck into the game a bit. The first half, like you said, it, it was a battering. And I said at halftime, it felt like we were winning nil-nil mm. because like how we hadn't scored was... Head scratching with the with the amount of play we had and the dominance we had, and they gave nothing. Like they just basically rolled over. And we might get to what um, or what we had anyway on our feet here with Paul's goals. I think. Yeah. We. I think we just take the Premier League feed, yeah, don't we? Feed, yeah. 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 So, um, it, people will say you might have been scathing, but 
he was a hundred like with what he was saying, he was a hundred percent spot. I couldn't argue with anything. And then I seen some stuff. I think Ellie McCoy might have had us again on uh TNT or BT, whatever it is, uh over in the UK. So I seen a bit of stuff him on Twitter and he was hundred percent right with what he said as well in terms of what Manchester United and, and what they're doing and what some of the problems might be. But how did you feel at half time? I mean, we had so much. I think Isaac should have scored a couple. Um Mm. So Trippier hit the bar, which was very Man City-ish from last season in that position and, and things like that. How did you feel at, at halftime? Were you happy, annoyed, kind of annoyed? Like, where did you land on it all? I felt like we were going to lose 1-0. It just felt like a game where we've absolutely battered them and we, we hadn't scored. But like we said, you know, we, we had done this last season as well. We didn't take the lead until the second half. so. I think I just felt worried that we hadn't scored yet, but I, I knew that if we kept playing how we had, you know, like it's interesting you mentioned Paul Scholes there. He he made a really he said something really interesting, which was that Man United just turned up like and waited to lose. <laughs> so he yeah, was obviously watching it though. That's that's, that's what how it felt. It felt. Like. Yeah, he he looks at it from a very Man United centric perspective, obviously, but he's he's quite often very scathing and and down on Man United because as he probably would be when you've played in the teams he has and when you you've got the standards he has. Les Ferdinand was kind of there for the Newcastle uh, perspective as well. So as like as bad as Man United were, I reckon that's probably the best first half. What's probably the best we've played all season. We absolutely were all over them, and there isn't there wasn't a single player from the first half, like or from any of the game, that you could say didn't play to their top potential. Every single player, apart from probably Pope, who didn't have anything to do except yeah. one save from <laughs> Garnacho in the first half, but we were just all over them like a rash. And I think it was you knew we were going to score at some point, but it, the longer it went on, by half time you're thinking the players are all going to start getting tired soon because it's the same team we've had for the last three games. Mm. So there was just that feeling that, and they, they had Hoyland and Anthony, a couple of players on the bench who could maybe make a difference. Whereas we didn't have anyone on the bench who could make a difference for us. So there was just a fear that we're not going to get this, but we so, so deserve it from, for how we played in the first half. Yeah. And it didn't, well, I didn't feel what you said, threatened, at all by anything that they did. And even sort of circling back to what Paul Scholes said after the game, it, it's like the minimum requirement is to run and work hard. When you play us at home, you know what you're going to get. Like there's no secrets here or anything. How we play at home, everyone knows. And it's like they just accepted it and it was too hard. We played on Wednesday in Turkey and things the plane, like that. And the it, plane couldn't fly and we had to get the bus. <laughs> yeah. Eric Hard mentioned that. I watched an interview pre-game and he'd mentioned that, you know, that we'd played Saturday, they played Sunday, and we'd played Tuesday, they played Wednesday. Like, he was already making excuses for a performance. And, like, he's, he's right with what he said. But what he's failed to mention is, yeah, we played Saturday. Like, the distance between our weekend, our weekend and midweek games were exactly the same. So we had another day to recover. For this game, but we had the same eleven players that have played in the last two weeks as well. You, he, it, it just it just feels like he is just making excuses already. And mm. you mean, and we're a perfect example of this 
you can use, and Eddie mentioned this during the week, I can't remember when he said it, but he, he doesn't want to use excuses to to mask things and how it happened. You can use that as motivation to to go forward and, and improve performance, but when you start making excuses, people find excuses like players and things like that. And Eddie and Ange is the same as well, that they find excuses to be better and improve and, and drive players, whereas, yeah, Eric's comments before the game were just excuse-driven already before we'd even kicked the ball. Yeah, and when you, when you were talking about Ten Hag there, like, I was actually thinking, I'm so happy that Eddie Howe doesn't do that. And this is something I've been talking about with a couple of other friends as well. Like, even when he first came into the club and the, the journalists were trying to get him to talk about the January transfer window, and he said, no, I don't want to talk about that. I want to, we've got a good squad here and I want to focus on coaching what I've got. And now a couple of years later, he's coached half of those players, more than half of them into being <laughs> Champions League players. Like... We were good Champions we were, League players too. We were absolutely screwed in midweek by, in Paris. That that could have really knocked us. You know, like a lot. I can think of high-profile managers who would have let that fester and who would have thrown the toys out the pram, who would have absolutely lost their minds about that. But Eddie didn't do that. Like, what's the point? There's no point in doing that. It's done. And I was listening to a clip of Anthony Gordon's interview with Jermaine Jenas before the game as well. And he said the same thing. He said, we just need to use that as motivation. Like, it's done. There's no point in sulking about it. Like, we've just got to get on with it now. You know, you're not going to win anything if you're just going to sit there moping around about bad decisions. And mm. and, and Gordon actually said, we don't want to blame referees, you know, if things go wrong. And you can just tell that that's the message that they're getting in the dressing yeah. room from Eddie. And then that's feeding through to the players. And that means that when we start the next game, we're prepared for it. We're not thinking about injustices or what happened previously. Trippier said the similar things as well. Like It's just the mindset of the group at the moment to just forget about that, let's get on with it, and let's go and win the next game because that's all we can do, prepare, win the next game, and go from there. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and we've said this, oh, we've probably said this for about 12 months at least. We wouldn't swap anyhow for any other manager in the world right now. Like, forget about the tactics and the improvements and everything like that, just even based on him and his mentality and the way he operates, you wouldn't swap him for anyone. Like, they say, like, you can judge someone's character in their darkest times and, I know, getting a 96-minute equaling at <laughs> PSG is probably not the darkest times. But compared, when you've got a live comparison that's happened three weeks ago or two weeks ago, whatever, three weeks ago, whatever it was, it, it mind-boggling, the, the difference. And and our situation was 10 times worse than what another red team from London was crying about. <laughs> and same thing, all right, that's it, it's done, let's go, we've got another game coming up. Look, they're still talking about it. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, they're still the going best, on about it. The best thing about that is that every time any Newcastle United post on Twitter now is just it just gets jumped on by Arsenal. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, like it's still. But you know what? That what though? That comes from Arteta though. It comes because it, he has, comes from the top. He has made them feel like it's a massive injustice, even though they've yeah. released the audio of that. I'll talk about this all night. It's beautiful. Like I love it. It's like it's absolutely amazing how. It's yeah. still going on. <laughs> like the, yeah. the Arsenal fans are still buying into it. The, the comment on every Newcastle post saying oh, oil club, blah, blah, yeah. blah, you know, like they're never ever going to get over it. 
gum in it. Uh, it is a beautiful thing, but we can't talk about it. We've got much more important things to talk about, like Anthony Gordon. Let's we talk about him every week. The goal, I almost say it was a typical Newcastle goal. This winning possession with a with a foot in by Kieran Trippy, I think just near the halfway line as well, and then ends up with Bruno kind of at the edge of the box. They did show something really interesting. In the in the Optus post game with Paul Scholes talking about with with Dallow kind of in the middle of the park way out of position and he was questioning whether was he meant to be there well if he was meant to be there and that's the instruction why is he there because if the ball turns over there's a massive hole and that's exactly what happened and and Bruno found himself in yards of space at the edge of the box and he done something really clever because he's a clever player and this is what clever players do instead of rolling. Kinda, he sort of he kept the ball skinny, and then he played in Trippier, who was got the foot in, and then continued his run down the field. He just rolled it perfectly across goal first time for our man Gordon to put it again, Jack. So that was, I think everyone's probably read or heard this now. Four and four, the mm. first man to do it since uh, Alan Shearer in nineteen ninety nine to score in four consecutive home games. I don't know what else we can say about him. Forty million is nowhere near enough for a player of his stature, and and the fact that his direct sort of competition in the England team was <laughs> anonymous is is even more bewildering. Yeah, we're we're just going to repeat what we said last week about Gordon. He just gets better and better, and he just fits the system perfectly. He's got an amazing attitude. Um, I think a lot of pretty much everyone has come around now from, you know, who were a bit worried about signing him and acknowledging that that six months for him was very important from January to the end of that season. The worst signs towards the end of last season, like I said this last week, he was, you know, he was, he was picking up, but I even, I didn't, like, I knew I was, I thought he was going to, he was going to come good, but this is spectacular kind of elite level performance he's putting in at the moment and to, to be playing most minutes of every game as well. Is brilliant. Bruno got the pre-assist again. We talked about that last week. Yeah, <laughs> he, he always gets the pre-assist. So if there was a stat yeah. for that, which score I'm sure involvement. Probably is. Yeah, score involvement. He's always like early or you know plays the pass before the pass. Yeah, that sets the goal up. Trippier was back to his best today. Like he, he had a little bit of a blip a couple of weeks ago, but he's just he's so good. Like he's 33 now. Like. It just makes you laugh. Like Man United could have had him multiple times down the years. He's a Man United fan. Um, he's just he's amazing, and he's back to his best, getting assists again. But just a brilliant goal, a brilliant Newcastle United St James's Park goal. What can you say? Brilliant. We should have yeah. had more of them. Yeah, and it's it's quite interesting. Like you, probably people don't understand. So Anthony Gordon scored against Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man United this year in the league, which is really, really unbelievable considering the knock on him was he couldn't score and he, he couldn't finish before he came. And he's turning into a big game player. And when he, when big teams come to town, he's up for it more than anyone. And I don't even think he could envision the, the improvement since well, January, nearly 12 months ago since he signed to where he is now. Nah. And it- it's funny, like people talk about his attitude. That was one of the knocks on him. His attitude's absolutely first class. 
Like the the last season against Brentford, he when he, he came on and changed the game. Actually, him and Wilson came on, and he was brilliant in that game. And then he got subbed off at the end as a time wasting thing, and he wasn't happy about that. But like that just shows his his will to win. You know, there's a little bit of petulance there, but that's been the only sign since he joined that there's any anything that these that Everton fans told us about him that you know he was going to cause problems. He's just been he's just been absolutely fantastic, and he's 22 years old. Like. And that's, yeah, right. that's the scary part of it all. You're right about about England as well. I don't care about England, but I think it's good for players to get international recognition when they're at Newcastle because it'll help us sign more players in the future. And you just want your players to get recognised for their good work. And to have to have him in our number ten playing like that, you know, for the fifth week in a row, and then to have Rashford, the other number ten on the other team who gets yeah. in every England squad. <laughs> It's just night and day, really. Like it's there's there's a while before the next international break. But if Gordon doesn't get in for the Euros, if he keeps this up, there's you know there's something seriously badly wrong. Yeah, I don't know who was upset. Even just thinking back to that Brentford game last year, he when he went down, I think he he thought he was time wasting as well, like you said. And I reckon there was a a lack of communication because Eddie took him off because he thought he was actually hurt, so he was Mm. sort of right. Right near the dugout and stuff like that. He's like, oh, look, come on, like we've got to see this out. Um, come on, come, get off. We'll get someone fresh on. And then it all happened really quickly. And he sort of said, no, no, I'm fine. Like I'm just two and clock here. Like don't stress. But that's the environment, though. That that's the way the clubs run. And you've got your coaching staff, you've got your leadership group, and everything like that as well. They don't have these problems with people who are unsettling in the dressing room and with bad attitudes and everything like that because they won't allow it. And if you kept going on, then you'd be out the door. And mm. maybe one of the players that we sold in the summer might have been a player like that, and that's <laughs> why he's not here anymore. So that this is what good clubs do. They bring in good people and they just become better and better and better. So and Gordon as um, well is one. Of, Gordon's one of those like Trippier as well. That when we signed him, people were were a bit like, "Oh, we don't actually need a player in that position. There's other priority positions." And now they're probably you know our two best players, Trippier and Gordon, or two of the best players. Same same with Livramento. We don't need we'll get fullbacks. to him later on. <laughs> why are we signing fullbacks? Yeah. This is why we're signing him. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about him later. Yeah. Um. So it kind of after the goal. Felt like a bit of an exhale. I think everyone just kind of went, all right, we've, we've actually got some kind of reward and something to show for the way we played for the first kind of hour. And then game kind of just fizzled out a little bit. Like nothing really happened. I think we sat back a little bit more trying to protect the lead because we knew our energy levels and our fatigue levels were going to start really kicking into gear. But nothing really happened until late on, like you said earlier. Sort of, it was, I think it was oh, mid-80s, maybe 83rd or 84th minute when um, Regulong hit that volley, which Shah cleared. I think Pope looked like he had it covered behind him as well, but Pope stayed down and I'm thinking this is like this happens all the time, this is what we do. And then as soon as he stuck his hand up on the replay from the behind the goal camera, I'm, I'm thinking shit, actually I think he's legitimately injured. Like It's the boy who cried wolf. This happens all the time. Eddie, okay, the same, it was the same time. Okay, I think the boys need a quick little reset, get a drink, charge up. We've got about 10 minutes to go. 
I'll go down. This is what we do all the time. If Eddie wants to change, he can get the messages out to all the players. But no, that well, well that that all happened. But the unfortunate part was he was actually injured this time, and it, it sucks. We've, yeah. we've completed our missing eleven now. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite it's quite satisfying in a way that we now have a full uh, eleven of missing players, which actually would probably get get in the top ten of the Premier League. I'd say, or maybe even oh. the top eight. Comfortably, I, I think apart like we spoke this last week, apart from Bruno, I think that team would probably beat the one that played last night. <laughs> probably would. Um, it's two two um, dislocated shoulders in the space of a few weeks. Like it's just next level bad luck. It's obviously especially bad for a goalkeeper. But yeah, I was like you. I mm. thought as as Tindall managed to get a little message onto the pitch again. Yeah, because last season it was a game last season when someone brought a note on, and then a minute later he went down. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought is this happening again? But you could see from the view behind, his yeah, arm went up. like his good arm went up. He knew away. straight he away. Knew, yeah, he knew he was in trouble. Was, he, he just felt his shoulder pop out. So yeah, not good. Mm. So I think where the. Uh, the eternal optimists on here with Dimmy. The so there's not real silver lining, but the silver lining is we've got one of the best number twos probably in the Premier League in Martin Dubravka. So he's going to get his chance now for it's probably going to be two and a half, three months by the time they operate it. And being a goalkeeper, your shoulders are really important compared to like a Dan Byrne or an outfield player and things like that. So it won't be like Murphy coming back on the, off the bench. Yeah, week, <laughs> a couple of weeks <laughs> now. Yeah. So this this is a great opportunity for him. I'm not sure what they planned on doing with him in January, but I reckon all them plans have probably been screwed up and thrown out the window now because he's going to have to stick around at least to the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, and we've had a bit of an interesting discussion in the group chat today about this because some people still feel let down by Dubravka, the fact that he went to Man United last year. I didn't even feel let down at the time, really. Like I just thought it was a good move for him. It's Manchester United. It's the biggest club in the world, pretty much. He, How was he supposed to know what was going to happen <laughs> later on in the season? I don't think anyone um, could have envisioned yeah, what so, was going to happen. And he, you know, he probably did feel a bit put out that... Pope had just been brought in to re- basically replace him when he'd had he'd been such a good player for so long, mm. and him and him and Maxi pretty much kept us kept us up for two seasons in a row. So, like, I don't think if he if there was any issues with his attitude now, he wouldn't be anywhere near the near the squad. Eddie would have just kicked him out in the summer. So he's obviously seen enough from him since he's come back in January that he's he's up for it. Um, he came he played against Chelsea in the last game of last season and did really well. So he's a really, really competent, really good goalkeeper. He's probably he's not as good as Pope, but you know, there's every chance he's gonna come in and do a good job. He's probably in his prime years for a goalkeeper as well, maybe a little bit past, but I've got no worries at all about Dubravka coming in for however long it might be. I don't think he'll let anybody down. Yeah, and even what well, I think Carius is probably not the worst third choice keeper as well. Yeah. Like we've been really bl- this has been probably for as long as I can remember, we've always been really blessed with with decent goalkeepers and considering what the opposition have spent on their goalkeeper and, and the troubles that he's had since he signed, yeah, we can always count our lucky stars that we've always been really good in, in terms of goalkeepers and stuff. And it's even just, just on Dubravka, yeah, when, yeah, when he left last year, I think my only, uh, not issue, but 
The only thing I didn't like was it was a loan because at the time we kind of needed the money coming in. So I think any time we get rid of a player, we like still now, I still think we need some kind of transfer money coming back in to help us out. And I think that was what kind of – it wasn't so much that he'd, he'd left. Like he could have gone anywhere. It didn't bother me that he, he went where he went. It was more the fact that we had – we'd let a player go and not actually got anything for it in return when – we kind of see, and I think we're still probably in that position now where any transfer out is going to really help us in terms of FFP. So, yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm totally fine with him when he came back, and he obviously sort of see, he's seen firsthand what the club was like and knew what our club was like. He probably went like, "This isn't the joint for me." I don't, like this yeah, is, he's, yeah, he, I want to go back to where I come from. This is shit. He wouldn't have been sitting there on the bench today anyway, thinking, Oh, I still wish I was still at Manchester United, you know, like Yeah. He's, yeah, like I think yeah. um it was strange that it was alone though, because especially after Manu had fucked us around with Jesse Lingard as well. Uh, yeah, in our first transfer window of the new owners, where they tried to make us pay a ten million loan fee or something stupid. Six like months that. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it was a bit of a surprise, but he's obviously just said at the time he wanted to go and you know, who can really blame him? Like, I can't yeah. blame him. Yeah, it's fine. Like, and, it, and it's good, really, that it was alone because it means we've still got a very good backup goalkeeper yeah, for this situation. We've got him back in six months. So, um, and then, so the only issue, not issue, the only sort of incident that really happened was was the goal that was rightly ruled for offside. Um, Eric, in his infinite management wisdom, decided to play a big slab head up front for the last kind of 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes to see if. You could get something which which is a bit damning for your for your Hoylands and Marshalls and Rashfords and, and players like that when you've had to stick your sixty million pound centre back up top for fifteen minutes to see if you can get his big square head on the end of one. But he did get his big square head in the way though. That that was the problem. <laughs> so they they did have the ball in the back of the net and it was a late flag, a very late flag. And I initially thought the offside was for um blocking the Debrevka's view, and then they showed that this beautiful camera again behind the goals, which showed it did actually clip him on the way through. He was, yeah, he was miles offside, so that one worked in our favour. It did, but what a horrible, horrible feeling to score, concede a goal. It's 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 horrible conceding a goal any time, but to concede right at the end again after the effort again, after having yeah. Played, but the thing that made me feel more encouraged was that he, Maguire just did not celebrate. So the camera went straight to him, and he knew that. He knew. He knew. He yeah. like, so that was what made me think, right, we're, we're in luck here. The commentators were still trying to big it up, like, oh, it could. Is it? Is it? Is it or not? But you could tell by Yeah, oh, they're, they're having a look at this. They're, they're having yeah. a look at this. But it, it, it would have been an absolute travesty if, oh. had, if they'd scored then. Just that for happened how well twice in a week. Yeah, but I think it, it again. It just sums up Manchester United that they're, they're playing Harry Maguire up front. They've done it before as well. They're trying to yeah. get rid of him in the summer, and and he was the fifth, fourth, or fifth choice centre back. They've brought Johnny Evans back, who's like a hundred years old now, mm. and and to, made of wet newspaper. Here they are in desperation, lumping it long to yeah. Maguire in towards the end of a game. But yeah, it was um, it's good for us that he was that far up front at that particular time. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, the final whistle sounded for another clean sheet at home, which is great. Uh, 1-0 victors and just doing a bit of research this afternoon. So 
Uh, they haven't beaten us in the league since September 21, which is kind of a bit of a trajectory how we've sort of passing them going up as they're coming down, which is good. And in all competitions, it, we, they've won one in the last six. So mm. unfortunately for us, that that one was a really important one. But I'm not sure if people would take that trophy if it, if they knew that we were going to be on top of them <laughs> every every three times after that. So, which is really good. Um, I'll just bring some stats up from the game, Jack. Uh, and I think this is a, a decent reflection. I think sometimes the stats in games can be a little bit misleading and, and paint a bit of a different picture, but I think these ones are pretty much spot on. Possession was 58 to 41, uh, 22 shots to eight, and they had one shot on target for the whole game. 522 passes to 366, which is also just dominating the ball and things like that. 17 tackles to 15, which you could argue when you've had that much possession, you should probably have less tackles, but I think our work rate, especially at home, and our desire is really good. Uh, clearances, 12 to 28, so it was all hands on deck for them. But, yeah, it, like I said, it's it, they are a true reflection of how the game's played, and I found one for you, mate. It, it was really deep, and oh, I don't, I can't explain how deep I was in in the in the dark web this afternoon. And <laughs> I found this found this absolute gem from our friends at Statsbomb. <laughs> the XG for players in the game today, and for those of you who are listening on audio, uh, we have Anthony Gordon was first, uh, Miguel Moron. Alexander Isak, and the next two are the ones that I really want to talk about, Fabian Shah and Jamal LaSalle's. There we go. So fourth and fifth highest XG for the game, higher than any Manchester United player, was our two centre-backs, Jack. Yeah, I, I was I was going to jump in before, but then I saw this one and I thought, I think that might be the XG thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I, I do, I do like XG. Like, like this is nice, isn't it? There was also nice, nice stats about um, touches from our players in their box. Every yes. outfield player touched the that ball. That was in on their our box. commentary. Yeah, I think only and two, think had, two of my yeah, players did. Two of them uh, did. So, I think it was something uh, like six or seven of our players got more XG on their own than the entire Man United team did. Uh, so. The stats just back up, and the first half especially was just so dominant. We just we couldn't get the shots on target, or the ones we did weren't great efforts. So maybe a bit of you know that that has happened before with us as well, where we haven't been quite as clinical. Um, but you know the the big chance we did get, we, we took it. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it might be a game where we're going to be relying on Fabian Shah to dribble through everyone and blast one in or something. Yeah, um, which but we didn't. We, yeah. Great segue again. Let's talk about Fabian Sharp. If any other centre-back in the Premier League was playing like him, it'd be the plaudits would be just showering this player. But he seems to get nothing, and he can do it all. Like, Don't get me wrong, I was starting to get a little bit twitchy maybe after the 70th minute when he started bombing on again with the ball. And I'm like, mate, can just pull the handbrake up a little bit now. We probably don't need need you to just keep driving forward. And they keep giving him the space to do it, so he kept doing it. But, yeah, I think it was kind of making me a little bit twitchy that last 20 minutes when he kept doing it. But 
like we can talk about the price and everything like that, but I, I want to try and keep the the value out of it for a second and just mm. purely on 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 field performance. He's seriously like being the top three centre backs in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah, he's got to be. I remember talking about him, like focusing on how good he was two seasons ago away at Brentford when he got an assist for Willock when for some reason he was like up front and it wasn't even it wasn't even a free yeah. kick or anything. It was open play. <laughs> but it might be because he's got kind of a languid kind of style. Like he it, it just doesn't seem to draw the attention the same way other defenders do. And maybe it's just because he's a bit older. He's just not fashionable for some reason. But yeah, you but he is fashionable. Like he does everything. He, he dribbles. Beautiful. He I don't big, know. beautiful. He's gorgeous, <laughs> and these big cross field raking passes. Like he is really eye catching, but doesn't catch anyone's eye. Yeah, I don't. I really don't know what it is about. Maybe people just you know still. Steve Bruce is it a Newcastle bomb, thing? Yeah, Steve Bruce tried to bomb him out, and he thought he wasn't. You know, he wasn't good enough. Eddie Howe tried to buy him for Bournemouth, so he must have been delighted to get to work with him. Yeah, um, maybe it is because he's just not quick or something. I don't know. Like he's just, but he's he's so good. He's 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 not physically imposing the way Botman is. So Botman, when Botman's bringing the ball down and raking seventy yard passes, it's very noticeable because he's a giant doing it. Shard looks like real, a normal stature, like a of, so maybe that's it. Ivan Drago about him, just real robotic Botman when he comes yeah. forward, and you can still ping him. But like he only scores worldies. He like dribbles. 40, 50 yards sometimes with the ball. I still think every time he goes on and so even when he hasn't got the ball in, whether it's LaSalle's or Botman, just kind of like fab, fab, fab. Oh, shit. Fab, fab. <laughs> he's, doing he's, it again. he's 40 yards. He's off again. Oh, no. And he's like, Longy, come back. Come back. Like He does it all but the time. But I, I just I can't understand how he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. I don't know. I don't know. But the good thing is as well, when he does do that, Players sit in, so the team are intelligent enough. So, like, if if Shah's doing that, Bruno will sit back, or you yep. know, Livermento will tuck in, or something. So, just to make sure that he's not leaving a big gap there. But I think he just does it when he's there's no there's no passes on for him, and there's a there's a gap. Like the defenders are not expecting <laughs> yeah. our defender to run straight through the middle of them. So. Yeah. Part <laughs> of me great. wonders. I, I kind of think back to a basketball analogy with someone you probably don't know him, Jack, but. A guy called Russell Westbrook, who is a great player in the NBA, but shooting's sometimes not his strong suit, but he thinks it is. So teams kind of just don't defend him close and just go, well, we know you, look, shoot. Like, we know you can't shoot. And it's kind of like the teams sort of let him go thinking he might, he's going to bring this up a fair way. If we can nick it back, we can get through him, like, really easily because – he stays up and like sort of and he's like, oh, there's a there's a gap. But yeah, they've they've left that for you, mate. <laughs> like it's a it's a sort of thing that they've planned for you to do, but they're just not good enough. I think it might have happened once or twice after Holland come on. I think there was a I think LaSalle's got back hmm. and just sort of ran. I think the pass from Anthony might have been slightly behind him, which held him up a bit, and then and LaSalle's got in behind to to snuff it out. But uh, the next guy I want to talk about is a player, and I know we've brought two young fullbacks in the summer, and there were what less than probably a month ago, people were wondering why did we waste our money on these fullbacks. The question I've got for you, Jack, is: Do we need to buy another right back? <laughs> I don't think 
we need to buy another right back for probably about 10 years. I mean, at left back, how's how's that Dan Burn going to get back in the team? I don't think he is. So we like, talked about this last week that I don't know if he walks back in. And then after what happened in Paris and what's happened again in this game, he he can't – well, he's great. And don't get me wrong, like, we all love Dan Byrne, but I don't think he walks right back into this team now. No, and it's it's a different dimension to the team. And this is what we said when it looked like Livermento was going to start getting minutes. Like, it gives the team, a, like, a different balance because you've got two fullbacks now who can bomb forward. And this was the perfect example of that this game. Um, he he just brings so much. And he's he's got it all. He's quick. Like, his recovering tackles are brilliant, timed mm. perfectly. He did one on Garnacho today. Like he, he gets forward, he can run inside, he can dribble, he's strong. He's just got absolutely everything. Like uh, it, it doesn't feel like he's too far away from a goal, actually. And he, he, they're doing this, and he's doing this in big, big games on it on his his wrong side. Yeah, it's no it's no <laughs> real surprise to anyone who actually knew him. Like this is why we paid thirty two million for him, though. It's his potential. Like I said, this so many times. He was brilliant at Southampton before he got his ACL injury. He seems like he's got his head screwed on. He's just like he's he's tucked to it like a duck to water. And Burn, yeah, he's definitely got a, a fight to get back in the team when he comes back. Yeah, I, just the way he dribbles. Like I don't know if it's a Gordon thing because Gordon takes off straight away and he drags a defender with him, and he just seems to find himself in acres of space on that side. And his ability to, like you said, drive forward with the ball and. People have been crying out for an attacking left back, thinking that was our weak side because everything kind of went down the right with the Trippier, Bruno, Miggy triangles and, and things like that. And, and credit, it worked really well. But he, now we've seen it, I don't think anyone will want to go back to Dan Byrne because we've seen how much a, an attacking right, a, attacking left back, even though he's not an actual left back, but a player playing left back who can run with the ball and run at defenders how different and how much of a different look that gives us. He nearly scored a goal very similar to what he did at Old Trafford. I think he had a chance to pull the trigger. I reckon he took one touch too many and he kind of ran himself into trouble again. But the way he cut in on the left and and he should have got the shot away, but he's amazing, man. <laughs> like yes. I know maybe you said because of the ACL and we probably kind of forgot about him a little bit in terms of not – us as Newcastle people, but just uh, Premier League fans in general. Like you said, he was great against – he was great for Southampton and the world was at his feet and then he unfortunately copped the ACL and he kind of just fell out of mind a little bit. And and I think now, yeah, he's reminding everyone who he is and what kind of player he's going to be. And it helped that he had Rashford playing up against him who just didn't track him so he could just yeah. go forward yeah. whenever he wanted. <laughs> Yeah. This was def- this was definitely the game where it's like this is how good we can be with two attacking fullbacks who are both yeah. on form, and you've got Lewis Hall sitting in understudy as well. By the time Trippier does have to slow down or start missing more games because he's getting yeah. older, Hall will be Livermento's age, so he because he's a year younger, so he'll start mm. slotting in. He can do the- these things as well. Like when he was, he showed that when he was at Chelsea, he just probably needs a bit yeah. longer to settle in, you know, but. What a pair of fullbacks we could have. English as well, buying into what the yeah. club's doing. It's 
it's seriously exciting for the future. Yeah, and for all those who are criticising and why did we buy them and stuff like that, just trust the people who are doing this sort of stuff. They haven't let us down yet. <laughs> I think one one transfer has let us down and I'm not going to cop any an Ali talk or, or Harvey Barnes is injured and things like that. They haven't let us down with anything. So until they do, they've got they should they should have everyone's trust. And whoever they bring in in January, trust they're gonna come in and do the job because they're gonna be the right player, they're gonna be a right person. And it might not happen for them straight away, but it will happen. So uh, I was gonna bring the table up, but I forgot to do it, Jack. I'm not gonna lie. So I think we're up to fifth now, which I think three points off second, which is great. And we, I think we spoke about last week. If we can just get through this kind of couple or, or two or three rough weeks in terms of fixturing with injuries and stuff like that, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So I was kind of doing the calculations after the game as well. Wilson could be probably a couple of weeks away now with his hamstring. That'll that'll give him, I think he was four to six. So another couple of weeks he could be back in the frame. I reckon maybe maybe three weeks, four weeks, Harvey Barnes should be back in and around the squad. Hopefully Longstaff's ankle's not too bad. He could be back in a couple of weeks as well. So we, we, we'll start getting some bodies back. Willix, Achilles, I'm not sure. I don't think they really know. Botman's still a bit of an unknown. I don't think they know that either. It's just to dip your toe in and see if it, if it hurts. And if it doesn't, we might do a little bit more and we don't have really a definitive time frame. So... But, yeah, hopefully, yeah, by the end of the month, we do have some bodies back in this team because we can't we can't keep carrying on like this, Jack. We just Long can't. Stuff, long stuff's been on the pitch, hasn't he, the last two games? He's just uh, a bit taller and he's got dark hair now. He's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we've got 50 minutes into this review and it just shows you how impressive and how good Lewis Miley has been that, I haven't even he was mentioned it's just yeah like it's just normal that he has just stepped in he's 17 and a half for christ's sake he's a kid <laughs> and that this was his best performance and it's this the good thing about twitter you get these two minute clips that people do compilations afterwards oh, I, I i can only remember him making one like wrong pass in the second half today but his intelligence to get to be in the right positions he basically is doing long, what longstaff does like, which is just an absolutely mm. ridiculously hard thing for someone to do, to step in. It's taken Longstaff two years to learn to do yeah. what Eddie wants to do. <laughs> Miley's just coming in and just taking on board the instructions straight away. He glides around the pitch. He, he nearly scored. He had a shot. I thought he what scored, mate. My heart was in my mouth. Talent. This, this guy is an unbelievable oh. talent. And to, to see him at Newcastle, it's just such an amazing thing. Like, he... I don't, we don't want to get too excited about him, but come on. He's like, he's really good. Like, I, I can't remember ever seeing a 17-year-old come in and do this for Newcastle. It's very rare no. to do it for anyone, to be honest. He's yeah. just next level. Well, he doesn't, he's not a flashy player, but you don't need to be a flashy player in that position. Look, your main job is to break up play and move the ball to your teammate. And that's, it's very simplistic, but he doesn't try and do anything he can't do. He knows what he can do. He knows what the team needs him to do, and he just does it, and he does mm. it really well, and he does it really effectively. So regardless of 
look, when we do get Willock and, and Longstaff back, I think these this run of game, however long this run of games lasts before we start getting bodies back and whether he gets relegated to the bench and comes on, this is invaluable for him. For his whole career, this could be the not the fast track, I guess, but the the confidence that he needs to say, right, I've just played against Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain and Man United and I'm completely competent against players of this level. Hmm. Everybody knows who he is now as well, so he's going to start getting getting attention. If you played for yeah. a big a big club, you'd probably be in the next England squad. That's what happens with young players. But, but all, like all of these Palmer. like all of these like <laughs> tactics wankers on their Twitter, they, they love players who play on the half turn, and that's what he does. Like he gets yeah, the ball yeah. to his feet, and he's already turning. Like he's already making space for himself, and that's what Bruno does so well as well. So it's like yeah. technical technical ability and football intelligence to just know what to do with the ball when he gets it. it usually it is just popping it off simple, but he did some stuff that wasn't simple as well. There was a really clever header he did in the first half, and then there was a couple of passes where it came to him and he kind of popped it around the corner instead of playing the easy pass. Yeah, just the one that Isak time. comes to mind straight away in the second half where yeah. Isak didn't think he was going to do it, and he, he didn't make the run, and he passed it, and Isak went, oh, shit, I didn't think you could do that, and then he sort of put his hand <laughs> up. Sorry, mate. <laughs> I didn't know you could you could do that. So, look, it's all about, and you've got to think as well, Jack. These guys aren't training. Hmm. Like, there's no time for for players like this to train. So, Livermento might have trained a little bit at the start of the year, but Lewis Miley, he wouldn't have trained that much because he was still playing some games with the under twenty ones as well. So, with the situation that we've been with, sort of. Weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek. Like, there's not much time for training anymore. So, the, the fact that these guys are doing what they did without getting reps on the training field just makes it even better. Like, I know we don't play till later on the week, but I still, I still think a lot of this week is going to be recovery. Yeah, and recovery isn't always bikes and pulls and and massages and things like that. Like, you do have to get out and, and run and move and get the body moving and stuff, but. In terms of the training that they would have had last year, this year would be remarkably different. Yeah, and that's what, what I mean about Miley's intelligence, that he's obviously being told what to do by the coaches, like, and he's not really getting a chance to practice it much on the training ground, and he's just yeah. doing what they tell him to do, and it's <laughs> it's such an intelligent football footballer who can do that. <laughs> mm. I'll tell you yeah. what, this is, this is my, you know, when, like, you say to players like, "Oh, they've made it." Look, something there's something that happens, and you go, "All right, then he's arrived. He's made it." Do you know what I think Newcastle's version of "He's made it" should look like? If Graham Jones puts his arm around you at the end of the game, you've made it. Like that's <laughs> that's that's the marker. Like every time they do their lap, he's always got someone in kind of like a half headlock, half romantic kind of um and he's like just whispering sweet nothings in their ear <laughs> and like oh god man and then he, he had miley and i think yeah, you've made it now if, if jonesy's yeah, got you like that that's you and <laughs> i think i think we'd all love a an arm around our shoulder from graham jones every now and then wouldn't we that'd be lovely yeah before we got to bed at night <laughs> yeah I'd probably a bit aggressive before bed but you know <laughs> what i mean <laughs> but yeah. um yeah, that'll do, Jack. 
we honestly this this podcast could go for another two hours and we could speak big ups about every single player that that played these last week and it'll go down in the annals of history as one of the great weeks in the club's history and as us for supporters as well it'll go down as one of the great weeks and cruelly rolled by a referee in Paris but if you just think about it and think about what we've achieved it's absolutely remarkable and it's been an absolute joy to relive it all again with you the tonight man absolutely thank you very much so we'll be we've back got, what, five days now before a match that's amazing yeah so i don't know what i'm going to do with myself for a couple <laughs> of days i'm just used to playing and watching and playing and watching so uh keep your eyes people we'll have a, a preview show later on at the end of the week hopefully we can get a, a nice little guest lined up for that so Stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. Don't forget, uh, if you haven't, comment, like our video. We're, we're still trying to push into 1,500 by the end of the year. So if you haven't subscribed, please do if we if we bob up on your YouTube feed and stuff like that. If anyone knows how to uh, work the algorithm, slide into our DMs, that would be much appreciated as well. So uh, that will do us tonight, Jack. You have yourself a good week, mate, and uh, do it with a smile because it's been bloody good. Cheers, Keeks. See you soon.